You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Merry Christmas, tribe. How y'all doing? Awesome. So glad you guys can join us. Hello to everyone joining us via Facebook Live and YouTube Live. My name is Lee. I'm one of your teaching pastors here. And if you started attending City Tribe Church at any time within the last five months, you're probably thinking like, yo, where's the guy with the eyebrows? Where's my pastor, Doug Robbins? And uh, just long story short, um, when we were in the middle of the Revelation series, the next time I was expected to teach, uh, my family contracted COVID-19. And so we were out for like three weeks. And then when I returned, there was a vacancy on my team that I had to step into in order that our students would be able to have a place to gather and continue to grow and learn. And so I stepped into that. And in the midst of all of this, I started having these like psychosomatic manifestations of emotional and mental trauma. And so I've been in and out of doctor's appointments. And And I asked Pastor Doug to just take me off the teaching schedule. And thus, if you're new here, you don't know who I am. And so it's a pleasure to meet you and everybody else. Man, it's so good to be back with you guys, especially here on Christmas Eve. Man, Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. And, you know, whenever Christmas comes around every single year, there's a word that we often hear. And that word is rejoice. And so that really begs the question for us. Why? Like, what exactly do we have to rejoice about? I mean, my life is a hot mess. I mean, you heard everything that my life has been going through in recent months, and we're in the midst of like a whole other uh, portion of this pandemic, right? A whole other wave with the Omicron variant. And some people might be saying, I'm grieving right now. Like, what do I have to rejoice about? And so over the next couple of minutes or so, what we are going to explore is the significance of the Christmas story and why we actually have reason to rejoice. And we're going to explore it from a pretty non-traditional telling of the Christmas story. And, you know, I had told the team that uh, I needed actually several weeks, a multi-week series in order to unpack the richness of this story. But we don't have that. All we have is right now. And so we're going to just jump right in. And if for somebody who likes to follow along in the scriptures, if you want to follow along, you can join me in Luke's account about Jesus, the 10th section, the gospel of Luke chapter 10. And before we get into our conversation today, let's pray and then we'll begin. So heavenly father, as always, we just ask that by your spirit, you would calm our hearts and our minds and you would silence whatever distractions there may be that we might hear from you whatever it is you want to say to us through the scriptures. Lord, speak through me, use me as a vessel, that the words that come out of my mouth may be an accurate depiction of who you are and encouragement to everyone watching and listening. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what is the whole significance of Christmas and why should you and I rejoice? Well, where we pick up in Luke's account, it reminds me of what my family and maybe even some of you experienced a couple of weeks ago here at a local hometown team college football game. So at the Alamo Dome, not too far from where we are here in the Cameo Theater, a couple of weeks ago, our UTSA Roadrunners, anybody a Roadrunner up in here? Woo! Beep, beep. 
our UTSA Roadrunners were down in the last seconds. They were about to lose the game, and then off a miraculous throw, they caught it. There was a touchdown. They ended up winning with no time left on the clock, and everyone in the Alamo Dome was jumping up and down, high-fiving, fist-bumping, screaming at the top of their lungs. Some people were making out. It was wild. And this idea of people jumping up and down, screaming at the top of their lungs is a picture, a very vivid picture, an imagery that Luke used in where we pick up in our account. You see, Jesus and his disciples, they were doing something very similarly. They were jumping up and down, shouting at the top of their lungs for what God had been doing through them and how he was utilizing them. And so Jesus essentially said to them, he's like, y'all, you don't simply need to be thrilled for what God is doing through you. But you can be thrilled at what God has done for you freely. You have received the gift of eternal life in his presence. Luke recorded what Jesus said this way. He said, don't what? Rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then continuing with this imagery, it's like a geyser that was erupting or like floodgates that were flood barriers that were about to burst, unable to contain his excitement. Jesus shouted at the top of his lungs and he was thanking God for his will and for his desire and for his choice to give to all people freely eternal life. This is how Luke stated it. He said at that time, he, Jesus, there's that word again. What is it? rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the arrogant, from the narcissist. You have hidden these things from the intelligent, and you have revealed them to people who are dependent and who are humble. That is to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. And so according to Jesus, you and I, we experience this good pleasure. We see Jesus jumping up and down when something is revealed to us. And so what was revealed to Jesus's disciples that they were able to inherit eternal life that made him jump up and down for joy? Well, uh, a few sections back in Luke chapter nine, in a moment that defined human history, one of Jesus's closest friends, one of his followers, Peter, he had this like light bulb kind of moment, and he realized exactly who Jesus was. Peter began to accept, and he began to affirm that Jesus was the God King that had been promised in the Jewish scriptures, this God King that would usher in eternal peace, that would establish his kingdom, and he would reign with perfect justice. He would govern perfectly for all of eternity. Peter accepted and affirmed who Jesus was in this way. He said to Jesus that you are God's Messiah. And so according to Jesus, when you and I, when we arrive at a place in our faith journey where we begin to accept and affirm who Jesus is, that he is this God King, he is this Messiah, well then like a fan at a football game, jumping up and down for joy, screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus is elated. God is delighted because he gives us eternal life. It is his good pleasure that we are reunited with him for all 
of eternity. Now, okay, here's where our conversation today actually picks up. That was just the background for where we are going. Have y'all ever seen that four installment movie franchise about a grandmaster of kung fu called Ip Man? It's on Netflix right now. It is super dope. You got at least you got to at least watch the first one. It's some of the best coordinated fight scenes I have ever seen. And in these movies, Master Ip He developed a unique fighting style, a unique fighting philosophy that was more effective than all the other fighting styles in his era and in his region. It was so effective that he gained all this notoriety and he gained popularity and all of these young prospective students wanted to follow him and wanted to be trained in his ways. And this affected the business of all these other grandmasters in different fighting philosophies, different fighting styles, and that frustrated them. It affected their pride. And so what they sought to do was to challenge Ip Man publicly to show that their style reigned supreme. What they wanted to do was boost their honor and diminish Master Ip's reputation so that they can grow their own following. Now, spoiler alert, okay. There's four movies in the installment, so you kind of know who's going to win these fights. But I bring this up because in the same way that these grandmasters of different fighting philosophies would challenge Master Ip for supremacy and to boost their own reputation and to diminish his following, well, in the first century, that is exactly what teachers and experts in the Jewish scriptures, in the Jewish law would do with one another. They wanted to demonstrate publicly that their philosophy, that their style and interpretation of the Jewish scriptures reigned supreme. And so you see all throughout the accounts about Jesus that this is exactly what he encountered anywhere he went. People wanted to challenge him, to boost their own credibility, and to diminish his following. And what happened next is exactly that. So seeing people jump up and down for joy and hearing them shout praises to God for the amazing thing he had done for them. He had given them eternal life freely. There was a expert in the Jewish law who was offended by this behavior. And he likely thought to himself, now, wait a second, hold on. I have been studying, internalizing, interpreting these scriptures and living them out very carefully and meticulously for over three decades. And my life looks nothing like these guys who were poor and who were seemingly uneducated and seemingly unsophisticated. And so he likely glad that there is no way that these guys have inherited eternal life. And so he publicly challenged Jesus. And in front of this very large audience, wanting to test the quality of Jesus's scriptural interpretation, he asked Jesus, teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. To which Jesus, he very brilliantly, and he very masterfully responded with a question of his own. Isn't that what like the best teachers do, right? They don't give you the answer. They respond with a question of their own. And actually, this is kind of like what we're trying to teach your students. If you have a middle or high schooler and you know, you ask them a question like, hey, why haven't you cleaned your room? What's taking so long? And they respond with a question. Well, how would you like me to clean it? Don't get mad at them. They're just trying to be like Jesus. And so Jesus, he actually responded basically saying, well, dude, you're the expert supposedly, right? You're the supposed expert in these interpretations. How do you interpret the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament? Luke recorded it this way. Well, what is written in the law? 
How do you read it? Now let's pause right here. Have you all ever wondered, maybe as you're trying to thumb through the scriptures, how should I interpret the Old Testament? There's a lot of weird rules and regulations and principles. Like, how am I supposed to make sense of all of these things and apply them to me? Let's put a pin in those questions. Because Jesus' question to the expert in this law, what it does for you and for me, it tells us that what we are doing in this journey right now through this story is we are on the sidelines of a debate, of a conversation about scriptural interpretation. And our understanding of the entirety of this verbal exchange, this debate, it's going to answer those questions that we just put a pin in on how we interpret the Old, the Old Testament. But not just that, it's going to answer for us what is so significant about the Christmas story and why should we rejoice? So we'll come back to that. Now, how did the expert interpret how to inherit eternal life according to the Jewish laws? Well, he responded by combining two very foundational scriptures from our Old Testament. One in a portion found called, or one in uh, Deuteronomy, and then another found in a portion called Leviticus. And so he combined these two and he responded to Jesus saying that you are supposed to uh, love people with the entirety of who you are, and you are to love people who also carefully follow God's law. He said it this way, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus himself responded, essentially saying, yep, that's exactly it. According to our Jewish law, that is exactly how you inherit eternal life. And Jesus responded, quoting another foundational scripture, saying, do this and you shall live. And then the expert to ensure that he boosted his own credibility, he boosted his own honor to demonstrate that he is somebody who actually lived out meticulously these laws and that he was somebody that could be followed, and then to compare himself with Jesus to demonstrate that Jesus, well, he doesn't follow these laws because he's hanging out with people who are poor. He's hanging out with people that can't even afford to give to the temple system or anything like that. He's hanging out with uneducated, unsophisticated people who don't abide by these laws. He asked Jesus another question. Well, then who is this person that I am supposed to perfectly love? I mean, surely I'm supposed to perfectly love only people who are abiding by God's laws. He asked, who is my neighbor? How Jesus responded here. Don't y'all want, I don't want y'all to miss this. Because what he said was so profound that we have laws that have been inspired by it. And we have nonprofit organizations that have been inspired by it. Jesus responded with a story that highlighted God's expectations and his ethics. We call that a parable. Now, to make the most of our understanding of this parable, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a modern rendition of it. My interpretation of it. And then, like a ping pong back and forth, we're going to intermittently go to Jesus' story and back to my story. So you guys got to follow along. Cool? Yes, y'all ready? Okay, hang in there with me. Here we go. Here is my modern interpretation, my rendition of how Jesus responded. So we're going to put you in the story. Suppose you set out on a journey from where we are here in San Antonio, Texas, down to South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, or maybe even Big Bend National Park. 
And along your journey, a bunch of like bad people, let's say Dominic Toretto and his Fast and Furious gang, they put on this like highway heist and they hijack you and they hijack your car and they steal your catalytic converter and they steal that little microchip that everybody's after right now. I don't even know why. And then they pull you out, yank you out of your driver's seat, strip you naked, beat you to within an inch of your life, and they take off with all of your possessions. But not only did they take your possessions, what they took from you was your security. What they took from you was your joy and your optimism and your hope in humanity. And what they, what they took from you was your sense of peace. But what they left you with was anxiety and anger and angst and an agony abandoned alone in this South Texas desert to perish, making you feel as if you don't matter. So here's how Jesus introduced this portion of his story. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him and they beat him up and they fled, leaving him half dead. Now back to my rendition of this story. So suppose somebody who is responsible for helping people reconnect with God, reconcile with God, and who's been entrusted with everybody's well-being for the most part. This person comes along. Let's just say it's me. And uh, seeing the buzzards flying over your head and seeing your condition at a distance, I think to myself, oh man, I don't know. Based on what has been taught to me, passed down, what I have learned in terms of other people's interpretation, well, I don't think it's wise if I stop because you could get blood all over me and that would be an inconvenience. You could have COVID-19 or some other transmittable infection right now. And that would keep me from performing my ceremonies and performing my duties that the masses require for me. And so, you know, it's more important that I tend to the masses. And this person, you, you're almost dead anyway. And so I just keep moving along. And then a few moments after me, another person comes along, and this person is responsible for teaching people in God's ethics and God's expectations, and he is responsible for helping people worship God. And so let's just say it's Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe here at City Tribe, he is the pastor over our small groups programs, our tribes, and he puts on all sorts of trainings to equip people to uh, make sure that whenever our community is in crisis, we're there to help. And so for very similar reasons that I didn't stop, he thinks, you know, well, what's been handed down to me, how I've been trained, the understanding, my understanding of how God's expectations um, are interpreted, I probably should just move on. The masses need me. My role is important. And thus continuing you to feel like your life doesn't matter. You're in agony. You're destined to perish. Here's how Jesus told this part of the story. He said, someone responsible for connecting people with God, a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then in the same way, somebody responsible for teaching people God's ethics and expectations and helping them worship God, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. And now for this next part of the story, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider somebody who you completely detest, you completely despise. The mere thought of them is repulsive to you. The mere thought of them, it makes you cringe, right? It's just, oh man. And so maybe for you, 
It is an ex who betrayed you and left you high and dry. And I know it's Christmas, okay? I'm going somewhere with all this, all right? So play along with me. And I'm sorry to do this to you. Uh, maybe it is a coworker who just doesn't get it, right? They don't get their job. They don't realize that everybody is having to carry their weight. Or maybe it's a boss that belittles people, that berates people, that just, you don't understand how they got the position that they got. It's like, how did this person get into a leader, leadership position? What did they have to do? Or maybe if you're somebody who's easily charged up by politics, it's somebody you're connected to on social media and you see their posts and you're like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything. Or maybe it's one of these guys. Hey, now let me be clear here. All right, here at City Tribe, we do not get into the politics game, but I know that politics are a hot button topic right now in our culture. And admittedly, I'm trying to rile you up. All right, I'm trying to frustrate you and irritate you. And I'll tell you why here in just a moment. So who is that person for you? Don't say their name out loud. It's Christmas, all right? Who, who is that person for you? And what is that feeling that they bring to you? And the reason I ask you guys this question, I'm trying to get a rise out of you guys, is because the very sentiments that you might be feeling toward that person are similar to the sentiments that Jesus' followers and the audience in this exchange, in this debate that they would have felt when Jesus introduced the next character in his story. You see, in the first century, there was a certain people group that was completely detested and despised. There was a deep-rooted hatred toward this particular people group, specifically from the Jews. And they viewed the, these people as lower than the beasts, as lower than the dogs. And there was one historical document that actually even details that people considered that they were not even a people. Like they did not matter in the eyes of the people in the first century. And so Jesus introduced this next character to come along in his story. And when he did, many in the audience in this debate, they would have been in shock. And they would have been disgusted. In fact, other than the fact that it's Jesus, God in human form, that told this story, the reason this story is so remembered and so repeated is because it was so controversial. How dare Jesus bring up such a word? Here's how Jesus shocked his audience. He said, but a despised and detested Samaritan on his journey came up to the man who had fallen into the hands of robbers. Now, back to our rendition of the story. As you laid lifeless, psychologically, physically suffering, buzzards overhead, that person that you detest, whoever that was, they come along. And despite your sentiments toward them, seeing your condition, they think to themselves, hey, this is not at all the experience that our creator intended for any single person. Your life is too precious. Your life matters. You don't deserve to suffer in this way. You deserve the opportunity to flourish. Are you starting to cringe? Like, oh, I don't want this person to help me and to serve me or anything like that. And so this person, it, they feel the stomach churning sickness at the idea of leaving you to die all by yourself. And they are compelled to create a change. In other words, they felt compassion. Y'all say this word with me, compassion. They felt compassion. Compassion is when you see a person's condition 
And the idea of leaving them in that condition, it causes a stomach-churning sickness, and so you are compelled to create change. And this person that you detest, they were compelled to create change. And so what they did was they disregarded their very expensive clothing. They tore it up, and they started to bandage you, and they started to cover you. And then they had some really expensive medicine, off the market, not yet put on the market kind of medicine, and they began to pour it on you to begin your healing process. And then they took you to a community to begin caring for you and for your protection so that you can be nursed back to health, a sort of a caravansary. And then to the community caretakers, they say, hey, look, here's all sorts of resources for an extended period of time. You've got everything you need to care for this person's well-being, to show them compassion. And then when I return, and I will return, when I return, I'm going to repay you for the compassion that you have shown my friend. Here's how Jesus told this part of the story. When he, the Samaritan, saw the man that fell into the hands of robbers, he had what? Compassion. And he went over to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, let me ask you guys a question that's similar to the question that Jesus asked his opponent, his debater. Of the three people in our rendition of the story, who lived up to God's expectations and ethics to care for the well-being of their associate? Or as Jesus asked it, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. All right, so multiple choice question right here. All right, here we go. A, Pastor Lee, me representing the priest in Jesus' story. B, Pastor Joe, the Levite. Or C, the person you detested representing the Samaritan in Jesus' story. What's your choice? Let me hear it. C, I hear some C's. Anybody else have a different answer? C. All right, those of you who said C, first of all, you get to live. And you answered very similarly to Jesus's debater. And you'll see just how deeply rooted this hatred in his heart was for this other people group. Like, he wouldn't even name this person in his response. He responded to Jesus. It was the one who showed him mercy, to which Jesus affirmed him. And he affirms you and he affirms me as to what you and I must do according to the Jewish law to inherit eternal life. He said, that's right. Yeah. If you want to inherit eternal life, you show mercy to everyone like this person in my story. Go and do the same. Now, my guess is if you've ever heard this story, this parable taught in a setting a church gathering school or something like that, chances are you were told that Jesus redefined what it means to be a neighbor, that now everybody is our neighbor and that we need to be like the Samaritan and we need to cultivate compassion and we need to show everybody mercy. And chances are you were encouraged that you need to pull your resources together so that we can make a collective impact in the world because we need to be good neighbors. And if you've heard that teaching, first of all, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. You know, even recently here at City Tribe, we have given the opportunity for our students to be good neighbors and to show mercy through serving opportunities. But 
Here is where our conversation actually takes a really unexpected, a really unique turn. Because none of that was the point that Jesus was trying to make. The point that Jesus was actually trying to make is in what he didn't say. The point that Jesus was trying to make was in what Luke didn't record. And the point that Jesus actually made is in what his audience and the expert in the Jewish law would have thought in response to him saying, here is how you inherit eternal life. You've got to show mercy to everyone. And if you and I are self-aware, we would respond just the same way. And so when Jesus explained the way for you to inherit eternal life, according to the Jewish law is to show everyone mercy. This is what the audience would have thought. This is what you and I should have thought. That's impossible. There's no possible way I can live up to that expectation. I'm imperfect. I'm naturally selfish. So there's no way I'll ever inherit eternal life. Now, let's go back to those questions that we had pinned. All right, this brings us back to those questions. Let's unpin them, those questions of how should I interpret the Old Testament? All those weird rules and regulations and how am I to make sense of it and apply it to my life? Well, according to what God in human form himself said, what Jesus interpreted for us, we interpret the Old Testament in this way. And by the way, this is called Jesus-centered theology. Google that. Jesus-centered theology, when God himself is our means by which we interpret the scriptures, okay? Here's how we would interpret through Jesus-centered theology, the Old Testament in this way. There is no way that I could inherit eternal life on my own ever. And so I am doomed to perish psychologically, physically, and I need someone like the Samaritan to save me. If I am to experience the life that God intended for me, I need his, what's that word? Compassion. And here is what's so fascinating about this. So this word that we have previously defined as seeing someone's condition and being compelled to create change, this word compassion, it's used 11 other times in the accounts about Jesus. And every single one of those 11 other times, it's either used in association with or used to describe only one person. Can any of you tell me who you think that one person is? Jesus. You guessed it. Jesus, this word compassion is used only in association to describe Jesus. And what that tells us is that the person in Jesus's story that he characterized as a Samaritan is who? It's Jesus. It's himself. Jesus wrote himself into his own story to communicate to us a truth about his kingdom agenda, a truth about who he is and what he came to do. And so when we retell Jesus's story with him at the center, with him as the Samaritan, then we get the answers to our question of what is so significant about Christmas and what do you and I have to be able to rejoice about? So understanding that Jesus is the Samaritan in his story. Listen now to a different telling of this parable. All right. So man. Our ancestors were created in our creator's very good image. And we were to experience eternal joy in community with him. 
But along that journey, we were deceived and we were robbed of the life that our heavenly father intended for us. And so we were then left with anxiety and angst and anger and in agony left for our souls to be lost and our existence to perish for eternity. And no priests and no rituals and no ceremonies and neither temple systems with their laws and sacrifices and tithes and offerings. No Old Testament principles would ever help restore our condition or even our connection with our creator. And so seeing the condition of his most precious creation, you and me, and knowing his image bearers deserve something differently because the image of God deserves something differently. Our father felt the stomach churning sickness as he thought about how we would forever perish apart from him. And so he was compelled to create change. That is, he felt compassion for us. And so he emptied himself of his divine attributes and he took on the form of man as a baby born of a virgin in a lowly manger. And like that Samaritan in the story he told, he was despised and he was detested and he was insulted and he was rejected so much so that he was eventually stripped naked, brutally beaten. He became for us the man who fell into the hands of robbers hanging on a cross in order that He would clothe us with his finest clothing and pour out onto us his most expensive oil and wine. That is, in order that he would pour out to us his Holy Spirit, that he might be God in us and God with us in our journey. And then it was the promise of eternal communion with him. And he takes us to this Jesus-centered community in relationship with other people. And he tells that community, hey, I have given you every resource that you need, my grace gifts, the gifts of my Holy Spirit, in order for you to continue to care for one another until I return. And when I return, I will repay you for how you cared for the well-being of everyone and protected everyone. I will repay you for your compassion. And y'all, that is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a story about compassion. And the story of compassion is a story about Jesus. And so here's what I want to do right now to make sure we internalize this. I am going to say Christmas and you say compassion. And then I'm going to say compassion and then you're going to say Jesus. Pretty simple, right? I say Christmas, you say compassion. I say compassion, you say Jesus. So we'll start with the first one right here. Christmas Compassion, Christmas is a story of God's compassion. Christmas reveals that God sees that you and I, if we are ever to live the life he intended for us, we need his compassion. And what Christmas, the story reveals is that God is willing to freely give it. And All you and I need to do is simply receive. Receive him, receive his compassion. And so that's what I'm inviting every single one of us to do right now. And how do we do that? How do we receive Jesus and his compassion? How do we inherit eternal life? Well, we do what the man who fell into the hands of robbers did. He was at the end of himself and he simply just accepted it. He accepted the help. He accepted being saved or more practically, we receive compassion. We receive Jesus when we do what his dear friend Peter did. 
when we accept and affirm Jesus's identity, that he is the eternal king who will establish his eternal kingdom and rule with righteousness and perfect justice. That is, when we accept and affirm what Peter said, that Jesus is, we talked about this earlier, God's Messiah. That is how we receive. And so whether you've already accepted Jesus and his compassion, or maybe you've never done that and you're not opposed to it, you're open to doing so for the first time tonight. I want us all together as we begin to close out to acknowledge to our heavenly father that we are all always in need of his compassion. And so you can say something along these lines. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can say it in your own words, but I want to make sure you know what you're going to be asking for, what you're going to be saying. You can say something like, Father, I know I've been robbed of the life that you intended for me. And I know on my own, there's nothing I could ever do to inherit eternal life. I am doomed to perish. And so I need your compassion. I accept and affirm that Jesus is Messiah. I receive him. I receive your compassion. I receive your spirit to indwell me and begin restoring my soul. I receive your promise of eternal life through accepting that Jesus is the only one who can give it. Thank you that my name is written in heaven. And if you prayed that, something along those lines, here is what we believe. We believe that you have in fact received God's compassion and you have in fact received his spirit that now indwells you so you can rejoice. We believe that you have thus received the free gift of eternal life, that your name has been written in heaven so you can have hope for your future. You can rejoice. We believe that you have received the mind of Christ so you now have capacity to be in connection with your creator, your counselor, and you can turn chaos and confusion into clarity. You can rejoice. We believe that you have received his grace gifts, the gifts of his Holy Spirit. You have been given power and authority to trample over demons so you don't need to live in fear or have anxiety. You can rejoice. We believe that you have received purpose and promise of rewards for your participation in his kingdom movement, helping people experience his compassion. And so you can rejoice. We believe that you have received the promise that he will return to crush his enemies and to usher in perfect justice and perfect peace. He is going to rule and govern perfectly. So you don't need to be filled with anger and angst. You don't need to seek out vengeance. You can rejoice. Y'all, we have received the greatest gift ever. And so like a football fan on a miraculous touchdown, you can jump up and down. You can scream at the top of your lungs, giving God praise. You can rejoice that is what Christmas is all about. And now, right now, if there is anyone who wants to get baptized, that's exactly what that represents. It represents that you were once that man who fell into the hands of robbers, but you received compassion and you were resuscitated to new life, eternal life. And so if there is anyone, come forth and let your tribe and all of heaven Rejoice with you.
was poor Oh, night Divine Oh, night Oh, night That not only do we get to rejoice, but as we saw in Luke's account, that God himself, Jesus, is jumping up and down like a fan at a football game, screaming at the top of his lungs because Gilbert just accepted and affirmed that Jesus is Messiah. Come on, somebody give a shout to God right now. And so here's what I want to do with all of heaven rejoicing right now. I want us to close out this gathering and our time together and enter into Christmas 2021 rejoicing. And what we're going to say together is going to be on the screen. It's what Jesus said that we should rejoice about. So anybody who has put their faith in Jesus, accepted and affirmed that he is Messiah, you can shout at the top of your lungs that you have been guaranteed eternal life in his presence. So on the count of three, we are going to shout out, my name is written in heaven. All right. My name is written in heaven heaven. If you are watching online, you can type that in the chat. So here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. My name is written in heaven. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.